Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Crystal Webster. Crystal is the founder of Sharing Solace, author of Confessions of a Griever, speaker, entrepreneur, and most importantly, she is Madeline Elizabeth Webster's mama. When Madeline died in Crystal's arms just after she was born, she wanted to die too. It took her years to learn to live again, mostly because she realized her Madeline wouldn't want her to live the rest of her life waiting to die. Sharing Solace was founded from that love and hope to help grievers grieve and lovers love their griever through patented, tangible gifts wrapped in a meaningful community of support and strength so you can always remember you're not alone. Thanks so much for joining us today, Crystal. Your recent book was brought to our attention by Amanda Ferret, our guest for our second episode, and we thank her so, so much. I wonder before we really get started with the main topic, could you take just a few minutes and share some of your experience and let our listeners know what brought you to this point in your career? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, my my story is unique, but also uniquely ununique, I think is probably a good way to put that. In 2010, uh, I was pregnant with my first child, super excited. We moved back to our hometown and did all the things that you do. And at 32 weeks pregnant, we went in for a routine ultrasound and heard the words that no one should ever have to hear. Something's not right. I'm going to go get the doctor. Three weeks later, uh, my Madeline Elizabeth was born May 19th, 2010. And she died the next day, May 20th, in my arms. Come to find out she had a genetic condition that I have and passed along to her, which made it impossible for her to sustain her own life and also nearly impossible for me and my husband to bring her siblings. So to this day, my Madeline is a one and only. She's, she's literally my angel. So, you know, obviously I, there was a lot of grief and processing and unpacking the loss of a child, the loss of what you thought the American dream was, what you thought you saw your future as, you know, I felt a lot of grief, a lot of guilt, probably any emotion that you can come up with, I felt it. And so... I I I truly don't believe that you ever get over grief. I don't think it gets easier. I agree. Yeah. I think you get stronger. And so it might feel easier to you, but it's not easier. And so I lived for several years in that really heavy grief. And then like a flash of lightning, I I realized that I needed to make a change. One way or the other, I needed to quit living in that turmoil. And so 
that's how I'm here today. Well, our hearts go out to you, Crystal, and everyone who has lost a newborn or a child. I know some can't imagine having to leave a hospital without the baby you've planned for, waited for, felt move in your body, and maybe even named like you have. How do you come back from something like that? How do you get through your grief? And I mean, even 10 years later, it's still so hard. Yeah, it really is. I I don't think, again, kind of like I just said, I don't think that you ever get through grief. I think you just learn to carry it better. And you don't really come back from it. You just start to find your new normal and your new happy. And my new happy is kind of always tinged with that bittersweet. Oh, this is so cool, but wouldn't it be even cooler if Madeline were here? But you really just start by putting one foot in front of the other because you have to. I found that I hit rock bottom and it took me quite a while to hit rock. I think it was well after Madeline died and we had gone through the IVF process three times and we had pretty much come to the realization that biological children were not in our future. And the dream of having a family was not in our future, like a traditional family was not in our future. That I really started to allow myself to feel the emotions. And that's when I started to grieve. So it was almost five years after Madeline died that I even really started grieving. And then I hit rock bottom and I hit, and I think everybody's rock bottom is different. And if you don't know if you've hit rock bottom, you haven't, and you will. Because that's how it works. And I realized I was living my life waiting to die. And I either needed to fish or cut bait kind of thing. And I was too much of a chicken to do one. So I decided it was time to live. And I just started doing small things. I started to allow myself to see joy in the world again. And push myself to see joy. And so there were a couple things that I did early on that I really think snowballed the whole process and have gotten me where to where I am today. I mean, obviously if I could change it, I would much rather have Madeline here and be miserable, you know, a, a overstressed, overworked, overcaffeinated mom. But because I'm not, I'm trying to make trying to make the best of my lemons. Was that even close to answering your question? I don't know, but you hit a nerve with me because I'm crying already. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Crystal, I think you answered the question quite well. You don't get over your grief for certain. And I also believe you don't really come back for that. You learn to adjust. You learn to cope. You learn to adapt. And somehow you continue to put one foot in front of the other because that's what you need to do for yourself and for those you love. I've mentioned this once before, I think, but Stephanie at one point showed me a quote, and I just love quotes. I kind of collect them. But there was one about someone approached another person and said, oh, my gosh, you're doing so well. I don't I don't believe it. How do you do that? And the response was, I wasn't given a choice. 
And that's kind of it. There, You had two options. Thankfully, you chose what I feel is the right one. So, yes, as far as answering the question, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, too, have experienced the loss of a newborn. Although my loss now is about 45 years ago. And certainly, I'm not as devastated now as I was at that time. But there are still moments like today, <laughs> like <laughs> this conversation, that are difficult. I was extremely fortunate and blessed in that I was able to become pregnant twice after that and raised two beautiful daughters. One, of course, is Stephanie, who is with me today. I'll vouch she is a beautiful, a beautiful <laughs> daughter. And they have both become amazing women that I am absolutely so proud of. I know you weren't able to have children after this loss, and I know that's got to be an incredible adjustment as well. Other options, of course, for adoption and everything, but it reminds me today there is a, a phrase that seems to become or becoming more and more popular, and that's childless, not by choice. Can you talk about that and maybe how or why that phrase might have come to be? Because I actually don't think I've heard it until maybe last year or this year. Yeah, um, I I think it's for the families, the parents that are in boats similar to mine, in that biological children are not in our future for whatever reason. And either they've chosen to go through the infertility process or not. You know, I guess I, I don't know that I really thought about it growing up, but kind of looking back on it, I thought, okay, well, you know, first you have your kids and then, you know, if that doesn't work, then you adopt and, or you do this or you do that. It's, it's not that simple when there are emotions involved. One of the most hurtful things that I hear is, oh, well, have you thought about adoption? Mm-hmm. No, never. <laughs> You're a genius. How did I not think of that? <laughs> yes, I thought of that. That was, you know, a, that's what you think of. But you also have to process that. And personally, I can speak to my own story. I just, there was so much emotion and hurt and grief and sorrow wrapped up into Madeline's death and the loss of that ability to have a biological family. I felt a lot of resentment and I just couldn't bring myself. Like, I think adoption is an option, an awesome option. Just for me and my emotional state and where I was, I couldn't go into that with a full overflowing heart. And I was honestly afraid of half-heartedly going into an adoption process. I, I just couldn't do that to other humans, if that makes sense. Like I didn't want to get into a situation that I now have children that I love dearly, but also they're not my Madeline. And so after a lot of soul searching and a lot of talking with my husband, we decided that we, were, we weren't really destined to be parents on earth, but we are sure going to aunt and uncle the hell out of our nephews. 
and find other great ways to be parents, just not to our own children and, and do good in the world. There's just so much stigma around. I mean, it's just society, you know, you, you're born and you go to high school and graduate high school and graduate college and then you get married and then you have kids and then you get a house and then you get a dog and then your kids grow up and then you die. Like, so we never really thought about it until you, we had to think about it. And when you're really put into a predicament that you have to think about it, things can change. You can realize where your true emotions lie. That's certainly understandable. And I just, I have the utmost respect that you were able to examine your thoughts and feelings that intensely and make the decisions that were truly in your heart, as opposed to what others may have wanted you to decide. I know that if you were not currently on the West Coast and I were on the East Coast, and if COVID were not a concern and we happen to be in the same room, we would be having a group hug. We would all be deeply in tears, <laughs> but holding each other tightly. <laughs> so, uh, moving on just a little bit, when somebody's grieving and you, you know that and you see them grieving, it's usually considered a touchy subject to have any conversation at all that might revolve around the loss of their loved one or the situation. You want to let them know you care, that you certainly feel badly for their loss, but often the right words or phrases fail us. Or there are always, probably more in the case of those who have lost newborns or very young children, those well-intentioned people with newborns and young children that just kind of hold their baby out and say, here, hold her or him. <laughs> or my goodness, those baby showers christenings, birthday parties, and all those other festivities with other people's children. How did you handle those? I still handle them today. I haven't been able to go to a baby shower in a decade since Madeline passed. That being said, I really appreciate getting the invitation to a baby shower. And also, I am the first one to RSVP no, I'm not going to be there and get them the wildest, craziest thing off their registry I can find <laughs> um, because I want to be happy for them. This is a happy time in their life. It bring backs a lot. Of, you know, I have a lot of emotions that have to do with me and nothing to do with them. And so I see it as self-care to not put myself into situations where I can almost guarantee I will make a scene either by, you know, actually making a scene or just like hiding in the corner, sobbing. Things changed a little bit once I, once I got my nephews. I now have three of them under the age of three. <laughs> and they're a delight. And I would do anything for them. I mean, I'm, I, I'm their auntie mama, kind of. <laughs> Um, and I hope that they know that when mom won't give them the extra cookie or whatever, they can come to CC and she'll, <laughs> she'll take care of that. But I still have to kind of dole it out in pieces. Like I still need a little, I call it my grace space. You know, I go and spend 
Christmas with my nephews and I love them to pieces. And then I need to go and kind of compose myself by myself. And then I come back and I, you know, I, I entertain and play and do all of the things. But when you, when I see children, especially children in my family, it's hard not to think how old would Madeline be right now? You know, what would she be doing? What would she want under the Christmas tree? You know, all those kind of things. So you just kind of learn to navigate it. And you do that from a point of self-care. You have to take care of yourself. Yes. So on the same topic, what suggestions would you have for friends um, that they just want to let you know how awful they feel, that they love you, they want to help you? What can, you know, that other side, what can they do to support you? Say their name, whoever it is, uh, whether it's a child or a spouse or, you know, whoever it is, say their name. There's, there's a quote about, and I'm going to butcher it because that's what I do, but it's, it has to do with the fact that everyone dies twice. The first time they die is when you bury them. And the second time they die is the last time that someone says their name. And I think, especially as a lost mom, that is, I, I had no control. I did everything I could to keep Madeline alive. Clearly that didn't work out. I can control the last time someone says her name. And until the day I take my last breath, her name will be spoken. So I think the best advice I've ever been given and I took to heart and do myself is say their name. And in a different time, in a different place, I would have given them a hug too. Another bit of advice that I think is kind of pertinent here. I dislike it when people say, let me know what I can do. I know that they're coming from a good place. I know that they want to be helpful. And also that gives me an obligation. Like now I have to come up with something for you to do. So when I have, you know, when I come across that situation, I don't, I don't necessarily say, you know, give me a call anytime or, I say, I'm coming over on Tuesday at four o'clock to do your dishes and just leave it at that. Now, if they say, no, you can't, then obviously I don't. Or, you know, Sunday afternoon, we're going to watch movies. I'm bringing the movies and the popcorn and we're just going to sit on the sofa. Right. But then they don't have to think, okay, I know she wants to help. What can I have her do? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I scrub the toilets and sometimes I just, I take the kids and we go to the park so mom can have some alone time. But I always felt bad that I didn't know how to have them help me. And so I, I found that that's a way to kind of take that obligation off the griever. When I know if, if you're anything like me, it's even on a good day, I don't like asking for help. I want to do it and I'm going to do it. And if I don't get to it, I'll do it another day. You know, yep. so when you're just so surrounded by all of your feelings and everything, you're not going to pick up the phone and ask for help. And if mm. it's a true friend, then you know they're going to be like, I'm coming over with a bottle of wine and popcorn and we're watching a movie, you mm -hmm. know? So I think just be 
be proactive and aggressive. Just, you know, yeah. say, this is what I'm doing and you're going to accept it. We're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> now, if they come back and they're like, absolutely not, you're not going to do that. Then I'm like, okay, you right. know, I, I get that. But I'm not going to give you the obligation. You know, I, when I was in my worst grief, it was like, I couldn't remember to shower and you want me to come up with something, you know, right. <laughs> you want me to give you a grocery list? Right. <laughs> I don't know. Soap. <laughs> Uh, perfectly understandable. That that statement that is uttered so many times, let me know what I can do to help. I think it's one of those statements everyone has gotten very, very comfortable with that that's something they can say because they have no idea what else to say. But I really like the way you you put it. In other words, just be more specific. And you who cares about that person and wants to support them, you think of something you can do to help. Maybe it's, give me your grocery list. I'm going to go to the grocery store for you or whatever. Well, let's move on now and talk about your book that I mentioned at the very beginning. I loved the title of your book. First, I saw Confessions of a Griever, and then I saw the rest of the title, Crystal. <laughs> what is the rest of the title, and what moved you to write this book, oh, which dear. I'm about two-thirds of the way through, and I love it. Okay, good. I've decided people either love it or they are so turned off that they run the other way. No, I love it. It is, it is you. It is you. <laughs> it's me. Uh, so the full title of the book is Confessions of a Griever, Turning a Hot Mess into an Oat Message, Laughable Lessons for When Life Just Sucks. And the first word in the entire book is a misspelled four-letter word. Yes. But there were so many days in the depths of my grief that I did, like, that was the only thing I could scream at the top of my lungs and even remotely express my emotions. And I think even if you're not a sailor like I am sometimes, <laughs> that word still pops in your head. All four letter words kind of pop in your head at some point. And if people can't guess what that four-letter word is, they'll just have to buy the book to find it. Yeah. <laughs> I bet they can figure I bet they can guess. They my my phone book. always says duck for me, which oh, yes. <laughs> I don't know why, because I rarely text the word duck to anyone. So right. <laughs> you'd think it would learn me by now. <laughs> my phone still thinks that I really like to say ducking birch. <laughs> I don't, I don't talk about trees and right. fowl. <laughs> I talk a big game. I really am not. I like to use expletives as an exclamation. Like if right. that's the best word for it, I will use it, right. but it's not just like a, a or an and or a the kind of thing. Yes. And, and in your book, you, you have a way with words, choosing just the right ones to so clearly let the reader know what you were thinking, how you were feeling, and what you thought of everything, the world, the situation, and everything. So I'm going to let you continue to talk a little bit more about your book, <laughs> and uh, we'll keep going. So it is not just, you know, like a memoir or an autobiography. It does have a little bit about my story, because I think that by, at least I hope, that when I share my story, it encourages others to share theirs as well. 
There's also some tips and tricks and there's a little bit of science in there. Nothing I did, just, hey, this study is interesting, so I'm going to put that in there. But the piece that I think is really cool is that it is a choose-your-own-grief-journey book. And so at the end of every chapter, you decide where you're going to go next, just like you build your life out and you build your story of grief. At every turn, you decide, are you going to go left or right? And and grief is such a roller coaster and an up and down and loop-de-loop of emotions. It's not linear. So why would you read a book about grief linearly? So that, that was kind of my thought behind it. And also I had what I thought were fun little micro stories and didn't know how to get them all to fit together. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm reading it too right now. And it's, we had a quick phone conversation before, but I started reading it and it's like sitting down and having a conversation with you, even though it's one way, but <laughs> it is. It's like most of my conversations. <laughs> it's it's like I'm sitting down and just chatting with you, you know, like oh. you're sitting having coffee with a friend. So I love the way it reads, how fast it reads. It's real feelings. It's blunt, which I love. Um, I don't want anybody to sugarcoat stuff for me. I don't like it. Tell me flat out how it is. And I told you, my first email to you when I read the little excerpt of the first page of your book, when I looked it up online, I was like, okay, this girl swears like a sailor and talks about unicorns on page one. We're going to be best friends. And that's my email I sent to you first. That was our first introduction. (laughs) But along with that, you also have a business and it's there's a website and it's called Sharing Solace. Um, And I just love this idea so much. And I think it's so great and different. So could you please tell everyone about it? Sure. Um, That is my real sharing solace is like my version of a rainbow baby. They say that kind of the terminology is a rainbow baby is the healthy child that's born after a child you lost. As I don't have biological rainbow baby. Sharing solace really is that to me because I birthed it and I'm raising it. And, you know, at some point I hope to be able to let it go off in the world by its by itself. Sharing solace, we really help grievers grieve and lovers love their griever. We do that with tangible, meaningful gifts that are wrapped in a community of love and support. That's kind of my like little elevator speech. You're probably thinking, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Madeline developed this necklace. I really think that she's the puppeteer, I'm just doing kind of as woohoo as that sounds, like she's just telling me what to do. And I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> Give me a few minutes, I'll get it done. <laughs> so we have a necklace and a keychain that's actually two pieces. And the idea is that you keep that near your heart as long as it brings you comfort. And when it starts to no longer bring you that same comfort it once did, you know that it's symbolically time to release that debilitating grief. The heavy on your heart, don't want to get out of bed, can't function grief. And that's when you take out the middle token from the outer locket. You put that middle token into a new locket, and then you would pay that new locket forward on to somebody else you know that needs some love and support and strength as they're going along their own grief journey. 
that middle token actually has a unique identifier engraved on it that allows you to register it on our website so you can follow it as it moves from person to person. So you know who you gave it to, but you might not know, you know, in two or five or 10 or 20 years who they gave it to and who they gave it to and who they gave it to. So you can actually follow it over time. You can see who had it before you, who had it after you. And and share, if you'd like to, some of your story. And it's just a way to help people know that they're not alone, even though they feel very lonely. I love that. It's kind of like sharing the love. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's it's so cute. I love it. Thank you. I, I think it's a very innovative idea. And I think innovative is a great way to describe you and your daughter, Madeline Elizabeth. Um, If she is giving you these ideas, wow, what a creative instinct and what an artist she is. Yes. I am not that smart. I am not that creative. It has to be her. (laughs) From the, when we spoke about your book, the ending of your chapters just tickled me when I got to the first one. And then when I realized that every single chapter was the same, I had to reread. That's why I'm not finished with the book <laughs> because I said, well, what if I had done this? You know, and you know, I found it took me someplace else. And it does truly give you that whole idea that grief is definitely not linear. And then with your website and your business, I have visited it. The, the jewelry, the pieces are breathtakingly beautiful in their simplicity. And I just think this is such a phenomenal idea that I would love to see it out there and being utilized far more frequently than it is. I didn't fully understand the registering and everything. So I'm glad that you've had the opportunity to tell our listeners about it. I do want to say that there will, in fact, be that information on our website and also in the episode notes. Very cool. So I see our time is kind of running out. This has been such an amazing conversation. I really don't want it to end. I I would just sit and talk with you for hours and hours. But before we wrap things up, I want to ask you, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? Can I read a quote? That I really like because I know you like quotes too. Absolutely. You may have to send it to me. (laughs) (laughs) Just turn to page 18 of your textbook. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Now I know what it is. (laughs) Yes. You either get bitter or you get better. It's that simple. You either take what you've been dealt and allow it to make you a better person or you allow it to tear you down. The choice does not belong to fate. It belongs to you. That's by Josh Shipp. But I absolutely love that every day. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be better. Going to be better. Going to be better. And just better than myself. Like I'm only competing with myself. Right. Yeah. I, that quote is already in my collection. Actually, once I realized where you were going and which quote you were going to read, it's also one of mine. And, and it truly is our choice. What to do with our grief, how to handle it, how to cope with it. And it's also our choice how to support others that have gone through very, very difficult situations and are continuing to go through them. Grief is not a sickness. It's not a disease. It's not a mental disorder. 
one of our guests, uh, Dr. Bill Webster, described it as a completely normal reaction to an unfortunate event. And I love that description. It's so true. So I think we'll wrap things up now. Again, Crystal, thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be with us. We wish you all the love and good wishes going forward and know that our paths will cross again very, very soon. You and your Madeline are in my thoughts and my prayers daily. You will always be a treasured friend of mine. Thank you so much. And of course, ditto. <laughs> I'm very eloquent with my words. There you go. Yes, you are. And, and to our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today and for listening. I hope we didn't cause you to go through too many tissues, but this is something that is very close to my heart as well. And I'm sure you had no difficulty hearing how Crystal feels about this entire topic. I hope you heard something in this episode that will bring you back next week. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.